All right, it is good to see you all. As always, it is a privilege and joy to come here and share God's word with you, share God's truth with you. Um, I thank you all guys for that. I, I spent a long time since I've been able to worship like that. and uh, that, Some of those songs really do affect me. So uh, behind this boring, stoic guy, there's actually a, a really soft heart. and I love, I love Christ. Amen. But um, so I want to ask you. So we were that last song we were singing. Uh, Come and behold Him. Worship a holy God. What What is the greatest way? What What is the greatest way that we can worship God? If you had to answer that question, what is the greatest way that we can worship God? Okay, obedience. Right. So praying. Okay. Anybody else? Reading his word. Good. All right. Anybody else? Fellowship. Fellowship with other one another. Loving God with all our heart. Loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. I would be willing to put forth to you that some of your answers were right around it. And some of your answers were actually the right answer. But to worship God, the greatest form of worship that you can give as a child of God is to hear his word. To receive His Word and to walk in His Word. That is perfect worship. To hear His Word, to receive His Word, to believe His Word, and to walk in His Word. And so y'all remember the other night we were talking about that. We were talking about, we went into the book of Revelation and we talked about uh, how... Uh, we are those that hear the, these truths and believe them and read them and understand them are truly what? Blessed. We are blessed to worship God. That's what we were created to do. Our greatest, uh, we were created to be worshipers of God. We were created to love Him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so when you do that, when you worship Him in spirit and in truth, when you hear His Word, receive His Word, believe His Word, and walk in His Word, you are blessed. And you find the fulfillment in your life that nothing in this world can give. So, I want to ask you a silly question. What were fish created to do? Swim. Swim. That's exactly right. The creepy things and the swimmy things, right? Uh, the creepy things crawl on the ground. The swimmy things swim. And so any of you that have ever gone fishing, if you catch a fish and you pull him out of the water and you throw him up on the bank, what does he do? Flop he flops around and then eventually what will happen? Yeah. He'll die. That's exactly right. Well, the reason for that is this. Because fish were created to swim. That's their purpose is to swim. Provide food for us, but to swim. And if you take a fish out of water, you take him away from his purpose. If you throw him on a bank, you've taken him out of his purpose. Now, do you know why he is flopping around on the bank? He's trying to swim. He's trying to swim. And he can't because there's nothing there to support what he was created to do. If you throw him in the water, what does he do? He swims right back off and he's happy again. If you leave him on the bank, he dies. Well, think about that in your life. You were created to worship God. That's what you were created to do, to hear His Word, to receive His Word, to believe His Word, and to walk in His Word. And guess what happens if you don't do what you were created to do? You flop around and you die. And how many in this room can hold up their hand and say, hey, 
He's describing my past. Right? When we don't worship God in spirit and truth, when we don't obey Him, when we don't hear Him, receive Him, believe Him, trust Him, and walk in His truths, not in our feelings and not in our opinions, or not in, I feel like, right? But walk, truly hear His Word, truly receive His Word, truly believe His Word, and truly walk in His Word, then we are doing what we were created to do, and we will be blessed, and we will flourish. We will be blessed. And so I want you to think about that tonight because that was the promise uh, that those who heard the words of this prophecy and believed them would be blessed. And so what I want to do tonight, um, we talked the other night about catechisms. And a catechism was a, is simply a, a catechism is simply a question and a, uh, a list of questions and answers about theology. And so what we're going to do is tonight here, if you go ahead and pass those out, um, we're going to, uh, these are yours, they're a gift to you. I hope that you all have a pen, because as we get ready to read this Baptist Catechism, now I understand that there are some of you in this room that might be Catholic or Presbyterian or Lutheran or, or Holiness, right? I got. I know there's a lot of Pentecostal crowd in here, and, but the reality is that I'm a Baptist, and so I'm going to give you the Baptist Catechism. If you want to go find a, a Holiness Catechism, I don't think you'll find one, but if you want to find a, a, a Catechism that goes along with your denomination, you're more than welcome to do that. But what we're doing is, is these are just simply question and answers. And we're, tonight we're going to get to the basics. We're going to start with number one. And what you're going to find is these, these questions sound really simple. And I'm not going to do anything tonight to make our lesson deep. We're going to talk about simple things. Uh, there's an old Christian cl- cliche. A, a friend of mine loves to use this uh, cliche. He says, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. Alright? The plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. So we're going to keep it plain tonight, and we're going to stick to the main. But what I want you to do is, how many? I hope you all have a pen, because I've got a couple of verses here for you. We're going to look those up first, and then we're going to pray. Alright? Well, matter of fact, let's go ahead and pray now. Father, I do thank you for this time that you've given us together. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to give these these, these little booklets out as a gift to, to my friends, to my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. And I do pray that they will use them and dig into them and learn more about you and your word. I also pray for the time that we have together here tonight, Lord. You have been so good to us during our time of praise and worship. And now as we truly worship you in spirit and truth, as we truly hear your word and receive your word and believe your word, I pray that you will use your word to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will give our hearts the willingness and the opportunity and the ability to share these truths with others and to help us to... Uh, live these truths out in our own lives. So be with us now in this time of study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's take our Bibles. Everything that you read in this this catechism that you have in front of you, every bit of it is backed up by Bible verses, and we're going to dig through a lot of Bible verses tonight. But these are two Bible verses that I want you to write in the front of your book because when two years from now, when you're digging through your old chest of drawer and you, or your hope chest or your... Uh, closet, back closet, whatever, and you come across this book again, I want you to be able to open it up and read these two verses and remember what I'm uh, I'm giving to you tonight. So let's look at that first verse. The first verse we're going to go to is in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy.
2 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15. Okay? Actually, let's start a little before that. Let's start in verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, and we'll start in verse 14. Now, this is Paul talking to a fellow pastor, Timothy, who he is raising up to be a pastor. When Paul dies, Timothy's going to take over the reins and begin to go out and be a pastor. And so the book of First and Second Timothy are Paul's letters to Timothy about what it means to be a pastor, how to be a pastor, what he's supposed to do. Okay? And this is what it says in verse 14. Remind them. So he said, Timothy, when you talk to people, remind them of these things, solemnly charging them in the presence of God. Where are we tonight? We're in the presence of God, not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Let me read that to you again. Be diligent. What does it mean to be be diligent? Consistent. Yeah, be consistent. Put your all into it. Be diligent. Dig into it. It should be the thing that drives you. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So who are you working to please? God. All right? So you should be diligent uh, to be present yourself approved to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Well, one of the first ways that you can accurately handle the word of truth and not be ashamed is if, if you know the books of the Bible and you know where they are. How many times have you been at church and the pastor said, turn to Philemon and you cheated and had to go to the front of the book and look in the table of contents, see where Philemon was so that you could get there? Right? Right? Okay. Well, what that shows you is, is that you are, uh, are young in the faith and you don't know where the books of the Bible are. Right? A swordsman knows his sword. A gunsmith knows his guns. We need to know our weapon. And the weapon that you have in the fight that you're fighting right now is the Word of God. And we should be able to say, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd King, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, right? Esther, Nehemiah, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Saul, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Agai, Zechariah, Malachi. We should be able to do that. I have six-year-old kids that I can teach that in two days singing a song with them. And you should know where the books of the Bible are. You should just, it's part of your life. These are God's words to you. And one day you get to heaven and meet, run into, to, uh, I don't know, Obadiah. And he said, hey, did you read my book? And you go, oh, no, I, didn't, I missed that one. Where was that? You see? I mean, Obadiah wrote that book so that you could know something about God. And, he, and God expects you to know his word. And so we should know that word. We should study it. We should use it to present ourselves approved of God, workmen that need not to be ashamed. All right? Don't be ashamed. How many of you don't want to share the gospel with your friends because you're afraid they're going to ask you a question that you don't know? How many of y'all are ever worried about sharing the gospel with somebody because you're afraid they're going to ask you something you don't know? Well, I got news for you. They are going to ask you something you don't know. All right? But it's not up to you to convince them of the truth. It's up to you to share the truth with them, and what they do with it is between them and God. Simply share God's Word with them. And if it's nothing more than God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, to whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life, so be it. Or the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. 
Whatever you can share, share his word with people and let God do the work. You share the word and let God do the work. And you are going to have people that are going to ask you questions you do not know. I have people in this class. I've had people in the past in this class. None of my regular older crowd is here tonight, but they would tell you this. I've had people ask me questions before, and I've literally said, I don't know. I'll get back to you. And I will literally send an email to this to the facility here and say, hey, tell Billy this is the answer to that question. He can turn here and see it. There's things that I don't know, and I can be willing to admit that. But being ashamed because I don't know things is not the way to be. He says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth to accurately handle it. And one of the things that this catechism will do for you is that it basically answers the big questions. Because see, what happens is, is we as Christians, we get our own little pet doctrine, and your little pet doctrine may be the Holy Spirit, spiritology, or, or pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. And that may be all you ever talk about and all you know in the Bible is the Holy Spirit. But that's not a bad thing. Or maybe you're a prophecy guy and all you talk about is revelation and the nation of Israel and Gog and Magog and prophecy. Maybe that's your thing. But the reality is the word of God is from Genesis to Revelation and we need to know all of it. And so one of the things that the Baptist the, or a catechism does is it forces you to get out of your comfort zone and work in areas of the Christian faith that you don't really want to delve into. It forces you to know things that you didn't know. And sometimes when we do that, it makes us uncomfortable. You see? So, the first verse that I want you to write in the front of your book is 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself to prove. Now, I'm, and I'm showing you my age now. I'm quoting from King James. I'm actually looking at a New American Standard Bible that says, Be diligent to present yourself approved with God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But immediately, my mind goes to King James and says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. All right, Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the King James Version. But the point being is you need to study. Do not be ashamed. Work at your faith and your growth in the knowledge of God's Scripture as a profession of your faith to Him. When He looks down on you tonight and you're in your room, let him see that you love him and that you desire to please him by knowing his word, receiving his word, believing his word, and walking in his word. It's the greatest form of worship that you can have. It's to know his word, to receive his word, to believe his word, and walk in his word. And to do it accurately, to handle it accurately. Right? Um, there have been many times in my life where I have made statements from a pulpit that were wrong. And I'm ashamed of those. Because I am going to stand one, one day before my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to answer to him for everything that I've taught you. <coughs> and I need to make sure that I'm handling it accurately. It's not based on my emotions. It's not based on my feelings. It's based on, thus saith the Lord. It's based on, it is written. That's what I teach you. 
what the word says. And that's what you should do. Study his word so that you can know it, so that you can handle it accurately. And one of the things that the catechism will do is it will force you to focus on Genesis 2 Revelation and hit on all of the things that the Bible, not everything that the Bible teaches, but all of the major subjects that the Bible teaches. All right? Now, that's the first verse. The second verse, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Right, that's just to the left. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to... Galatians, Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys in on a little bit of my private prayer life. This is one of the prayers that I pray for you guys all the time. This is one of the prayers that I pray for the precious flock that God has been so gracious to allow me to help him shepherd. This is something that I pray for the people of my church. This is something I pray for all of the people that I've taught over the years. Every time I post a, a, a lesson or a scripture on the internet or social media, I pray this prayer. And look what it says. We're in Ephesians 1. I want you to write down Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. Let's look and see what I said. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. And I'm just sharing with you something that I pray on the daily for folks. And this is what it says. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease... To give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now, listen what Paul is praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the Spirit. You see the Trinity there? God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of Him, so that you, having your eyes of your heart being enlightened, will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of of his power towards us who believes according to the working of his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. All right? Look what he's praying. That God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give to you. So the gift of the Spirit comes from who? God who? The Father and God the Son. Both the Son and the Father have given the Spirit to us as a gift. And so we pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give to you. I, my prayer for you is that God will give to you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the full knowledge of Him so that the eyes of your heart will be lit up, enlightened, and you will know what is the hope of His calling and the riches of his glory in the inheritance of the saints. That's my prayer for you guys. That as you read, because you, listen, you're going to come across all kind of teachers that, that come up here and sit in this pulpit. And the one thing that hopefully all of those teachers 
will have in common is that they will open a Bible and share the scriptures with you. Amen. And the prayer is that through the sharing of the word of God, not our opinions and not our little pet teachings and pet doctrines, but as we share the word of God with you, that the father and the son will give you the spirit to light up your heart and help you to grasp the beauty and the glory and the hope that we have in him and our internal inheritance. That a fair enough prayer? Yeah. All right. Can y'all pray that prayer for me too? Amen. All right. So y'all wrote those two down. Second Timothy 2.15 and Ephesians 1. Verse 15 through 20. Just write them in the front. I wrote mine right here in the front of it. I don't care where you write it. but Now, if the rest of it is yours, take notes in it, write in it, do whatever, whatever you want to do. So let's look at this introduction. What is a catechism? Catechesis is a method of teaching using questions and answers. The question-answer method has great advantages during the young years of children's development, which thrive in repetition and recitation. How many hundreds of times have you read your children the same book and they never tire of it? How many of y'all lit up when we started singing Jesus Loves Me tonight? Right? Why? Because it's one of your greatest childhood memories of learning that song and your parents or your grandparents teaching that to you. And the first realization is that Jesus does love me. And so these books are designed, catechisms are actually designed for kids, for children. They're designed for parents to sit around on a table with their kids and discuss these questions. And you would be amazed at how many questions and how broad and observant and absorbent are the minds of kids. Like they really do grasp a lot more than we think they grasp. They, do, they know a lot more than we give them credit for. And so these questions are designed for a dad and a mom to sit around the dinner table with their kids and ask them questions. And the questions all have an answer. And so what happens is you say, what is the chief end of man? And the child will say, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's a simple little statement, right? What is the chief end of man? What were you created for? To, enjoy, uh, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why, and, and it's just a little simple question. But what will happen is, after you ask the question, there will be three or four Bible verses for you to dig into the Scriptures and see that this is why we're answering this this way. You see? All right, so not only <clears throat> does a sound catechism teach children the answer to the most important questions, it teaches children which questions are the most important. This truly is a crippling malady of our time. That through neglect, not only have we forgotten the answers to the most important questions, we've even forgotten what questions to ask. Now, remember, guys, the first question in the Bible was asked by who? Who asked the first question in the Bible? It's the first question mark. Well, let's go back and look. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Right? There's no question marks in God said, God said, God said, God said, God said when he created everything. But in Genesis chapter 3, we are going to run across the first question. Right? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And how does that sentence end? 
Question mark. It's the first question in the Bible. Did God say that? No. Right? Well, think about the question the devil's asking. Did God really say that? What is he getting Eve to doubt? God, God and what he said. God's word. She's, he is getting her to doubt what God said. Did God say you really couldn't eat of all these? And she said, no, we can eat of all these trees out here. Only from the tree of the, the middle of the garden uh, we can't eat from or touch. Because God said, if you do that, you will die. And then the serpent said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know the difference of good and evil. And you're going to be just like him. So the first thing that the devil does is get us to question what God says. I guarantee you when you were struggling with faith before you came to faith, or if you know any of your friends who are atheists right now, one of the first things that they're going to ask you is, how do you know that that's what God said? How do you know that the Bible is true? You see? Why? Because they're held captive by Satan, and he's got them questioning the truth. But not only does Satan get us to question what God said and get us to doubt what God says, you're not going to die. See, what did God say would happen if you eat from the tree? You will surely die. And what did the devil say? You're not going to die. God knows. So he's gone now from questioning God to getting her to doubt God. And now he's going to put words in God's mouth. God knows that the day that you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like him. And it's the same temptation that he uses to you and me every day. He gets us to question God. He gets us to doubt God. And then he twists God's word around and makes us believe lies. It's always been his strategy and it's always going to be his strategy. Now, he started with a question, but watch this. Look down in verse 8. Then they heard the sound of Yahweh, God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh, God, in the midst of the trees of the garden. Now, why are they hiding? They're naked. They're ashamed. They're guilty. You know what? They do know the difference in good and evil now, by the way. The devil told them that if they ate from the tree, their eyes would be open. They would know the difference in good and evil, and they would be just like God. Well, two of the three things he promised them actually happened. Their eyes were open to their nakedness and how helpless they were without God. And not only that, they uh, now know the difference in good and evil. Before Eve bit into that piece of fruit, she had no concept of evil. All she knew was what? Good. Now, what did the devil tell her she would know? You will know the difference in what? Good and evil. Well, how did she find out the difference in good and evil? By experiencing evil. And what did it bring? Death, not life. So here they are hiding in the bushes. They're naked. Now watch this. Yahweh, God, called to the man and said, Adam, where are you? How does that sentence end? Where are you? That's an interrogative statement. What do I mean when I say interrogative statement? Come on, you English major. Somebody here knows what an interrogative statement is. It's a question. An interrogative statement is a question that seeks an answer. Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. What did he say? It's somebody's fault, God, just not mine. It's either her fault, right, or your fault. Listen to what he said. The woman that you gave me. See, God, it's your fault for putting that woman in my life. Now, for all of you males in the room who are very proud right now and thinking you got it all together, I want you to remember where Eve came from. She's a direct expression of him. Exactly. All right? So we need to remember that. Right? And we also need to remember she came out of his side. So, men, he didn't create her out of your toe bone so that you could keep your foot on her throat all of her life. Okay. And, ladies, he didn't create you out of his skull bone so that you could peck him in the head and beat him down all his life. <laughs> he created you out of his side so that you could walk together. That you could be equals. Amen. All right. So that's just a a little five cent sermon there. But think about this. Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? What is this that you have done? God asked Adam four questions. And here's the difference in the questions from the serpent and the questions from God. The questions of the serpent are to drive us away from God. When God asks the questions, they're to bring us back to Him. You see the difference? Mm -hmm. So, you now have a tool to question your questions. Why are you asking the question that you're asking? Most of the time, we ask the questions because we want somebody to tell us something that we don't want to hear. We want us to tell them to tell us something other than what we don't want to hear. Does this dress make me look fat? Don't ever ask a guy that, ladies. You, you're going to make him bear false witness. You're going to make him lie. Right? Because he knows no matter what he says, he's in trouble. If you said no, it makes you look beautiful, you're going to think he's lying. And if he tells you, well, it does make your hip stick out a little, he's not going to get talked to for the next three or four days. He's probably going to have to sleep on the couch. You see? So don't ask that. Don't put guys in that position. Right. But a lot of times the questions we ask are not to get an answer, but to avoid one that we already know is there. I need you to be home by 12. Why? Because there's nothing to do but get in trouble after midnight. Why, Mom? And, and, and the more that you go clean your room. Why? Because it's dirty. Really? It's not that dirty. Go clean your room. And eventually, as you deal with your parents, the answer is finally going to come to what? Because I said so. Well, what you have in your hands right now, right? All of y'all raised your hand before the class started, and you have. This is God's because I said so. Amen. All right? What your Bible is because I said so. And you can say, why, 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 all you want. And the reality is, most of the time, we as rebellious kids, the answer is because. You already know, but you're asking the question not to get an answer, but to avoid the one you know is coming. You see? All right. So with that said, when Satan asks the questions, they are to drive us away from God. When God is the one asking the questions, they are bring us 
to bring us back to Him. Make sense? All right. So can you see how effective questions can actually be? All right. So it says this is a. It says in that statement we just read said this truly is a crippling malady our time uh, because we forget the answers to the most important questions and we've even forgotten which questions to ask. How many of you have ever been? How many of y'all have been? In, I know y'all have been here and you've been in a class like this right now and and somebody usually is somebody that is new to the group. Like they ask something that is completely off the wall. Like it has no bearing on anything. All right. You're sitting there talking about, uh, you know, the salvation that comes in Christ and the cross. And they ask about, you know, uh, how is cream cheese made or something, you know, like just something crazy off the wall. And so a lot of times we lose focus on what questions we're really supposed to ask. And so one of, the, one of the things this catechism does is give you some of the main questions. The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. All right, so some have rightly likened Christian catechesis to stacking up dry firewood on the altar of your children's heart. Only God can send the fire from heaven to set their hearts ablaze with saving faith. But when he sends the fire, the truth memorized in the question and answers of the catechesis uh, roars to life in obedience, loving knowledge of God, and fueled by well-cured automatic firewood. You see how that works? So these questions, the kids aren't going to get all of it. And they're going to hear some of it and not receive all of it. But it's like stacking wood on the fire. And eventually when the Holy Spirit comes in and lights it, boom, it all goes on. And it's like, oh, that's why they, they taught me this when I was... 6 or 10 or 12 or 14. Now, one of the reasons we're going to do these is because I know that many of you in this room are young in the faith. You may have trusted Christ your Lord and Savior because someone shared the gospel with you, but you don't know Adam from Seth and you don't know Esau Esau from Isaac or Jacob or Ishmael or, or Obadiah, right? Now, that's okay, but we don't need to stay there. The Bible tells us as newborn babes, and that's what some of you are, I don't say that demeaning. I'm just telling you, you're an infant in the faith. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Right? Babies desire milk. Leave them off of the milk for just a couple hours and see what happens. Right? And one of the truest indications, one of the truest indications that you truly are a child of God is your desire to know and live in this word. That is one of the purest indications that you really are a born-again, blood-bought child of God. When you do love His Word and you really want to learn it and you really want to know it. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He drives us to know it. Not experiences, not goosebumps, not miraculous witness, witnessing miraculous events. All of those things are secondary to God's Word. It's not about feelings. It's about truth. And one of the truest indications that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is not healings and miracles. It's growing in knowledge of His Word. God said that He sent His Son. His Son died, rose, went to heaven, and the Father and the Son have sent His Spirit to come here and to do what? To lift Christ up for all of the world to know. And if the Spirit is alive in you, He wants you to know who? Christ. And who is Christ? The Word of God. So one of the truest indications that you truly are a child of God is when your desire is for His truth. Okay?
So, included with each question and answer are multiple scripture references. Uh, use them, show them to your children. They're not just mere doctrines of men. This catechism dates to A.D. 1695. So they, this is called Keech's Catechism. The guy's name was Benjamin Keech, and he wrote this catechism in 1695. How long has that been? About 300 and what, 20, 31 years? 30 years, roughly? So people have been learning this catechism for 330 years. All right, now, uh, so let's see what else we can do here. All right, so let's start. We're going to go to the Baptist Catechism, and tonight we are going to work. we got a few minutes. We're going to work on question one. How many questions are in this catechism? I told you all the other night, so you was paying attention. 150. Somebody's already flipped to the back, all right? Right, right. Y'all probably read like 15 of the questions already or more of them, I bet you. I would. If I was sitting in your shoes, I would have definitely been looking at the question and not listening. But I hope that you have listened to something we said here. So let's look. So again... I do not want you to take this in a demeaning way. I know that there are some of you in here that are more mature in the faith, but every one of us in this room can grow in these basics, myself included. As I teach this to you, I am grasping it better myself. You see how that works? So we are going to pretend that we are children, and we are going to answer these questions. Question, And all we're working on is question one tonight. So if you want to say, if I do one of these a month, there's 150, 150 months would be like 10, 11, 12. So if you want to stay for 13 years, we could get all the way through this catechism. If we did one, one question a night. But uh, hopefully the Lord will return before then. But let's see. Question number one. Who is the first and chiefest being? All right, let's answer that together. God is the first and chiefest being. All right, let me ask that to you again. Who is the first and chiefest of beings? God is the first and the chiefest of beings. All right? Now, let's look up these verses that it quotes for us. The first one is Isaiah, and I think there's a misprint there. It's Isaiah 44, 6. It's not 4, 6. Isaiah 44, 6. Let's go there and look. Isaiah is right in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah, well, it's right past Psalm. Isaiah 44, 6. Let me see if that's right or if one of mine's got it wrong. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 44, 6. Can I have someone stand up and read that aloud for us, please? Anybody, I don't care. First one to take it. There you go. Isaiah 44, 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Okay, good. So Yahweh, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, Yahweh the of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God besides me. Now, I want you to think about what he says there. I am the first, I am the last. There is no God besides me. All right? Do you remember when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. And what did the Jews immediately do? They grabbed rocks and were going to kill him. Because he was claiming to be I am. Let's read that verse again. Thus says Yahweh, or the Lord, the king of Israel and his redeemer. So Yahweh and his redeemer. 
So what we're seeing here, and we don't see it yet because Jesus has not been incarnate yet. He hadn't been born of the virgin. But what you are seeing is the Lord. How is it spelled in your Bible? All caps? L-O-R-D? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So who is it talking? God the Father and God the Son. And look what he says. I am the first. I am the last. And there is no God beside me. You remember what Moses Moses said, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? And what did God say? You tell him, I am that I am sent you. So in Isaiah, God, what does God say in his name is? I am, not I was. Right? Because if it said I was, what would that mean? He's not anymore. And if it's I will be, what does that mean? He hadn't been yet. He says, I am, because he is always there. Now, I want you to remember as you read your Bibles and we talk about the things of God, remember, what are the aspects of time or the different uh, divisions of time? Past, present, future. future. But I want you to see just a little more than that, okay? I want you to see eternity past, past, present, future, eternity future. The Bible teaches that there are two ages, this age and the age to come. Two ages, this age and the age to come. And when Jesus says, I am, what is he saying? I "I was, I am, and I will be, because he is what? Eternal. He was there in eternity past. He is there in the past. That was before me and you, by the way. He is here in the present. And guess what's going to happen tomorrow? He's going to be there too. And guess what's going to happen in eternity future? He's there too. He's always. I am. All right. So, God is the chief being. Let's look at another verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 48, 12. Now, as you're reading these texts in Isaiah, remember Isaiah 40 through 40. uh, Let me see if I can. like, Like through 48. So, Isaiah 40 through 48 is basically God putting a beat down on all of the idols that the Israelites have been following. Basically, God was stepping in and saying, you are a bunch of idolaters, and all of these false gods that you are worshiping, are, they're punks. I am God. Nothing else is God. And so in the same way that the battle in Egypt between Pharaoh and God was a battle between God and all of the Egyptian gods, You do know that all of the plagues, all ten of the plagues that happened were attacks on Egyptian gods or goddesses. So was God angry in Isaiah? You better believe it. He's angry with his people that he called out to be his people. Instead of trusting and walking with him, they're following idols. But between Isaiah 40 and 48 is a great monologue that God has given to the nation of Israel and basically saying... I am the only God. And all of these false gods, he's standing on the mountain and saying, y'all have been worshiping the creation and I am the creator. And it's all, it's like a, I don't want to say it's a rap battle, but it's it's a bannering back and forth between God and all of his children that are living in rebellion to him and him putting the beat down, the verbal beat down on the false gods of the land. So that's what the whole context of Isaiah 40 to 48 are. Remember, Isaiah was before they got drug off into slavery by the Babylonians, right? 
And so God is using Isaiah to warn the children of Israel that if they, uh, you know, if they don't straighten and fly right, that he's fixing to judge them. Right? That they need to correct themselves before they wreck themselves. You see? He's warning them. And in Isaiah, that 40 to 48 is one big battle where he's saying, it's me and it's no other. And you're following all these false gods. So Isaiah 48 verse 12 says this. 48.12. Somebody read that for me. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. All right. Now, good. Uh, it says, hear me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. All right. He is the first and he is the last. Now. One more verse, and then I want to show you something. 97.9. Psalms 97.9. That's just a little bit back to the left. Psalms 97.9. Who's got that one for us? For you, O Lord, are most high over all. The earth, you are exalted far above all. All right. 97.9. For you are Yahweh. Most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Amen. All right, now watch. We just read those three verses. Now let me ask you a question. Who is the first and chiefest of all beings? God. God is first and chiefest of all beings. The answer is that you answer by making the statement over. Okay? Who is the first and chiefest of all beings? God is the first and chiefest of all beings. And what have we done through studying those Bible verses? We've reached out and realized that the Bible teaches that. Yeah, Scripture backing up these questions. All right, now, I have some more questions for you. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to quickly go through some questions that relate to this question to give us just some general knowledge about it. All right, number one, is God the first of all beings? All right. Isaiah 44, 6 says, I am the first. Is he the first cause of all beings? God is the creator and everything else is creation. And all of our heresies and all the false religion out there and all of the pain and suffering that you have gone through in your life in rebellion and sin is because you put your trust in the creation instead of the creator. You see? So, He is the first cause of all beings. Are all other causes subordinate to the first cause? What does it mean to be subordinate? Under. Under. So who is the first cause? God. And all other causes are subordinate to the first cause. That means that your prayer life is subordinate to the first cause. When we pray, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're subordinating ourselves to his superiority, you see. Your salvation is subordinate to his calling you. He did not save you because you called on him. You called on him because he saved you. We are subordinate to him. He is the first cause of all things. That make sense? All right. Uh, so, uh, is God the first in creation? Yes. Psalm 33, 9 says, He spake, and it was done. God said, let there be, bless you. He didn't say, let there be, bless you. He said, let there be light. 
But I was saying bless you for sneezing. All right. Uh, is he the first in providence? For in him, Acts 17, 28 says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. It has not caught God by surprise that you are sitting in that chair right now listening to this lesson. It was decreed from before the foundation of the world that on February the 9th at 8.48, I'm telling you all what time it is so you don't have to look at the clock and get in trouble, right? 8.48 on February the 9th of 2024 that you were going to be sitting in this room. And he is in charge of all providence. Everything that falls out, everything that takes place in the world, he is the first call. He is the one in charge of everything. All right. Is he the first? So he's the first in providence. Well, is he the first in government? That's the Roman staff role. And one of the songs we sung tonight, did y'all see that one statement that said, who makes every king of the world bow before him? Yes. Did y'all see it? Y'all remember it? it was only a holy God? He said, who makes the kings of the earth bow before him? Only a holy God. So all of the governments in the world are under his subordination. And even though they got their fist balled and their teeth grinding and they're, they're screaming at God and hating him, he, God is laughing on his throne at the, the wills of men who rebel against him. So is he the first in the world of grace? Yes. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Let me read that again. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. That's 2 Corinthians 5.18. These are some extras. If you want to write some of these down, they all apply to question one. All right, next. Is he first in the display of his love? Can anybody think of a verse that says that? That he is the first to display his love? Jesus um, How about this one? 1 John 4, 19. Somebody look that up for me. Tell me what it says. That's all the way in the back right before you get to Revelation. 1 John 4, 19. The question is, is he first in the display of his love? We love because he first loved us. Okay. Let me ask the question again. Is he first... In the display of his love. Yes. Yeah. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Good. All right. Uh, can we beforehand, can we be beforehand with God? No. No. Good. That's very good. Who hath first given unto him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. All right. Can we be beforehand with God? No. God is eternal. We are created in time. God is in eternity past, God is in the past, God is in the present, God is in the future, and God is in eternity future, but you and I are only in the what? Past of when we were born and came into this age, the present, and Lord willing, we'll be in the next few minutes, right? So all of that's in his control, and we need to remember that. All right, so I got, that was 10 questions, we got 21, I got like 8 minutes left. Should God then be first in our thoughts? That's an easy one. Yeah, of course. When I wake, I am still with thee. Psalm 139, 18. Should he be first in our esteem? Yes. The, the psalmist said, Who have I in heaven but you? Should we first give ourselves to him? Yes. But first gave their own selves unto the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Should he have... 
the first fruits. What's the first fruits? Remember uh, Abel offered the first fruits mm-hmm. and the, the fattest portion of his lot? What are the first fruits? Anybody know? Nope. <laughs> That's a great answer, by the way. So remember, the fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, long suffering. All right. What are the fruits of your life? The things that you express, how you walk, how you talk, how you think, how you feel. The things that you give to God should be your what? First fruits. What does it mean to say first fruits? The best that I have. God should get the best that I have. Now, I can tell you this. I can sit and stare at a stinking computer screen and look at a movie or watch social media, read social media and chase down plot chat lines and for a mile of people arguing about something. And then I turn off my computer and go lay down in my bed to go pray and get ready to go to sleep. And in three minutes, I'm out, gone. How hard is it for me to give an hour of my life to pray to God? And yet I can go and pour out all of my mind, my soul, and my strength into social media or a movie or, you know, daydreaming about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, whatever it might be. And what I need to learn how to do is give him the first fruits of my life. The best that I have, when I'm at my most awake, when I'm at my most alert, when I'm, I should give that to him. He is deserving of the first fruits. All right. Um, is God the chiefest of beings? Yes. yes, we've already learned that. Um, is he above all pretenders? Yes. Is he the chief in heaven? Yes. Yep. Uh, is he the chief on earth? Yes. Okay, wait. You mean he's in control right now of everything that's going on on the earth? You better believe it. I was asking that. I was trying to trick somebody. Of course he's in control. God does not, he's not like me and you. He doesn't watch the news and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that just happened. He already knows he's going to win the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Right? Right. He knows how many people are going to lose money betting on it too. All right. <laughs> Uh, question 19 will he ever retain his preeminence yeah will he forever retain his preeminence yeah always should God then be chiefly loved yes Luke 10 27 says thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart all thy soul all thy strength and all thy might I wonder where they get that from from Exodus Luke was quoting the Old Testament. So you mean, wait, you mean the Old Testament applies to me too? You mean what he taught in Deuteronomy that I should love the Lord with all my heart, all my all my soul, all my strength, and all my might? That applies to me too? Why did Luke quote that? Because God's word is one word. It's one whole word. And it, he doesn't never contradict itself or he does not ever change his opinion or desires or his will. So it is always God's will for you to love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Last question. Or last two-part question. Should God then be chiefly loved? Should God then chiefly be feared? Yes. Yes. All right. Good. Last thing and then we're done. Who, class, is the first and chiefest of beings? Together, God is the first and chiefest of beings. All right, next time I come to see you guys, we'll do question two. Should everybody believe that there is a God? Yes.
All right. Now, if you want to dig ahead and read into that, all right, the, um, the question's there, and you've got all kind of scriptural citations to help you understand that. All right. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for this time that you have given us together tonight. Thank you for this simple but important lesson that you are a holy God. You are the only God. You are the chiefest of all beings. You are our creator and we are your creation. You are to be chiefly loved and you are to be chiefly feared. And we are to offer our worship to you. And the best that we have to offer you is to receive your word, to believe your word, to have faith in your word and to walk in your word. And my prayer for every man and woman in this room that that will be the case. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.